When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for the last 11 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, there was a lot of MMA over the weekend. You had the PFL, you had the UFC, you had Bellator all happening on various nights. I think that for the purposes of this episode of the co-main event, we're going to talk mostly about Bellator, which I think inarguably had the biggest show of the weekend. We will mix in some talk about this UFC fight night event. And we will also, I think, talk a little bit about the rumored Bellator PFL merger, given that representatives of both Bellator and the PFL have confirmed at this point that it is at least being explored. So we will talk about the potential of that to change the landscape of MMA and and if it would and what we would expect from it if it did indeed happen. So we'll get into all of that stuff, I think, coming up in the next hour. First, before we get into any of that, though, I wanted to send a shout out to our guy, Andrew Millington, a longtime friend of this show, a guy who has helped us out in the past on numerous occasions. He had an accident over the weekend, a fall resulting in a uh, fracture of the skull. He was in the hospital over the weekend. He is out now. It seems like he is going to be okay, but his family has some medical bills that they need to take care of. So first of all, we wanted to say we're really glad that Andrew is is on the mend and that it seems like he's going to make a full recovery. And secondly, if you look over at my Twitter account, at Chad Dundas on Twitter, I've got a link over there for the GoFundMe page where if you've got a couple of extra bucks, we do invite you to help out Andrew's family with some of those medical expenses because I know they could use it. There's also a post up that anyone can see over at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash co-main event. You can go there and find the link to the GoFundMe as well. So uh, we're all happy that Andrew is going to be just fine, but let's help his family out a little bit, pay for some of these medical bills. Yeah, I heard from Andrew this weekend. Glad to hear that he's uh, on the mend and doing a little bit better. But yeah, scary stuff. Yeah. Uh, I also wanted to spotlight our guy Boda who is also a patron of the co-main event and a guy that we met over the summer 
at the co-main event podcast meetup down there in Las Vegas. Andrew just moved to a new state with his family, didn't know anybody there. And so our guy Boda had thrown a get together for him and his family uh, to meet some new people and come help welcome him to his new home. And he was there when Andrew had his accident and really did a lot to get him medical attention and make sure that he was okay. And this is just one of the reasons why I'm constantly blown away by the community in and around this podcast, because, you know, these guys only have a connection through MMA and that got them together for this function. And I think Andrew turned out to be very lucky that our guy Boda was around and, and a shout out to him and his partner, Katie, who set up this GoFundMe for Andrew and his family. So that's just another example of the co-maniacs out there looking out for each other, being awesome. And I think Ben, you and I feel super lucky to have a community like that around the podcast that will rally around each other, both in good times and bad, man. It's, it's very cool to see that. I love nothing more, Chad, than to see co-maniacs helping co-maniacs. It's, it's the best thing in life. Remember, you're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast proper. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and podcast libraries. If you like what you hear on this show, you can find us over at comainevent.com or patreon.com slash event Over on Patreon, Ben and I are there all week giving you loads of extra audio and video content, as well as access to our official Discord message board. The coolest people in MMA, as I just said, they're constantly over there chatting it up, talking to each other, making connections on the Discord message board. We invite you to check that out. If you want to check it out, but you're not sure about making the jump over to Patreon on a full-time basis, you can sign up right now for a seven-day free trial at the $5 level. That'll let you know what's going on there if you've been wondering, but you're not sure how it is or, or how it works. You can check it out right now for free. As everybody knows, we can only keep making this show with the support of our awesome listeners. Come party with us. We think it's the funnest, smartest, most welcoming group of men and women talking fights online so head over to patreon.com slash co-main event and sign up to join the team we've also got our merch shop up and running you can head over there that one's at comainevent.com go there and click the link that says shop and it'll get you in there you can find old favorites like the original dundasso t-shirt the old school cowboy astronaut cigarettes merchandise and you can find a lot of cool new stuff too like brand new are you fucking kidding me shirts and the biggest seller on the market the bobby nux shirt just go to our website comainevent.com and click the link at the top of the page that says shop as always we're partnering with our friends at superconductor on the shop and these new designs that we have for sale up there superconductor is a brand Brand and design studio. Uh, our guy Johnny Ashcroft, who's been designing stuff for the CME for a long time. We can't recommend them highly enough for all your design needs. Hit them up at studiosuperconductor.com or on Instagram at Studio Superconductor, all one word. We got music this week from our guy Dennis Pham, a self-titled, quote, day one co-maniac from San Diego. He says he writes a song every few years. You can find his new single, The Fire, on Spotify and Apple Music and all other major music streaming platforms. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the Co-Main Event Podcast. In round number one, Young Surge outdueled Pitbull and Vadim Nemkov beat the brakes off drunken master Yoel Romero on Friday in Bellator. It was good. You should have watched it. And in round number two, Jared Cannonier on Saturday punched and kicked Marvin Vittori more than anyone has ever punched and kicked another person in a UFC middleweight fight. 
So what did it get him exactly? And in round number three, officials from both Bellator and the PFL have confirmed the possibility of a merger, and that would be interesting. All that, plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff, but first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. This week's listener mail is once again brought to you by our friends at NordVPN. Kids, have you signed up to get a free bonus month of NordVPN when you go to nordvpn.com slash co-main or use the code co-main? If you haven't, you really, really should. With NordVPN, you get the fastest VPN on the planet. NordVPN provides online protection with a single click. Don't miss your favorite content. Even when you're traveling, stay at home virtually. Stay safe from malware with threat protection. Ben and I both have it on our devices. We use it all the time. Ben, I know you love NordVPN. What's your favorite thing about using it? Well, you know, I love how it pops on whenever you're bouncing from public Wi-Fi to public Wi-Fi to keep you protected, Uh, especially if, like me today, you're running around getting ready to take your kids on a fun little uh, lake camping type trip. Doesn't matter if you're at the grocery store hurriedly buying Chex Mix and Trail Mix. Doesn't matter if you're then filling up your cooler down there at the, uh, the gas station. Doesn't matter. If you're frantically chugging coffee trying to get home to record your podcast, NordVPN has you covered. You can also access Nord's amazing cybersecurity apps, including the NordPass password manager, helping you keep all your passwords straight and close at hand. And with the NordLocker encrypted cloud storage app, you can keep your files backed up, synced, and protected from snoopers, loss, or malware in its secure cloud. Nobody will see, touch, or sell them. Sign up right now for any of the NordVPN handy two-year plans and get an additional month for free by going to nordvpn.com slash co-main or use the code co-main. That's all one word. The offer includes all of the plans, standard, plus, and complete. It's risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Get your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash co-main or use the code co-main. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from our guy Ryan Robinson, senior co-main event watch party host. He was just in town a couple weeks ago, joined us at our UFC 289 watch party, and here is his email this week. He says, I got a hot take on the finish of the Carlos Hernandez versus Dennis Bodner fight from the prelims at the silent apex fight night 100,000 or whatever. The ref made the right call ending the fight, but not awarding the finish and going to the scorecards. It reminded me of the Tito Ortiz versus Evan Tanner fight from UFC 30, where it's recorded as a TKO via slam, but it was clearly a headbutt that put Tanner out. In this case, it was a great throw, but it was clearly the headbutt that knocked Bonder out. The ref already fucked up when he lets a flagrant intentional knee to the head of a downed Hernandez at the end of the second round go without a point deduction. The ref also fucked up by letting Bondar take a handful of heavy shots after he was clearly unconscious. But when it comes to the final result, Dominic Cruz was wrong and the officials were right. The headbutt doesn't magically become a legal move when it comes after a belly-to-belly suplex, even if it was a beautiful suplex. Thanks for taking my call. I'll take the discourse off the air. This was a prelim fight that ultimately went down as a technical decision win for Carlos Hernandez, uh, 30-27, 30-27, 29-28. It happened one second, Ben Folks, one second before the fight was due to end. And so when you're that late, 
in a fight. You go to the scorecards to decide who won. What do you think about this? I actually think uh, Ryan is correct. I think if you're if you're taking a slam and you you your head collides with the other guy's chin or face or temple or whatever it is and knocks him unconscious. I think it's a headbutt. I think it's a clash of heads. I don't see how you dress it up as anything else. And I think, frankly, the fact that there was a bunch of people both online and on the websites, the internet websites today, talking about how this is a borderline thing or maybe we should allow it. That's like one of the most MMA conversations I can possibly imagine to be like, yeah. yes, headbutts are illegal unless <laughs> unless it's they dope happen. as fuck. Yeah, unless it's something super cool that happens, then it's okay. So I don't know. I don't see how you uh, consider this anything else besides a headbutt, frankly. Well, this is, though, kind of a feature of not an insignificant number of MMA's most famous slam KOs. Yeah. It's just kind of, it it happens enough that you got to figure it's a sort of part of a feature of it where, like, the Rampage Jackson, Ricardo Arona slam arguably the most famous and most replayed slam KO in MMA history from pride where rampage lifts him up in the triangle choke and he brings him down. I mean, I'm not saying the slam itself isn't enough to knock the fill out there. Cause that was, it was a hellacious goddamn slam, but also you can see his head come right down on the dude's chin as he lands. And so that that's not going to help you either. So yeah, like, that can happen sometimes with the the slam KOs, but it is very MMA of us to just be like, okay, yes. Are you allowed to do that? Technically, no, but it was rad, and therefore we would like to overlook it just to make things simple on ourselves. Yeah, seems like we do this a lot. We try to suss out like what's inadvertent or what is, uh, what's the opposite of inadvertent? Advertent? Totally vertent. Totally vertent, uh, which I think is an unfair thing to do when it comes to enforcing the rules. We try to put a lot on the plate of these referees. Obviously, a lot comes down to their discretion. And uh, we ask them to make calls in the heat of the action that can affect the outcome, affect whether or not a person gets half their money for their win bonus, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It It already seems unfair, frankly, for what we put on the shoulders of these referees. Personally, I'm glad in this instance that uh, we can make a call. Maybe we can use replay when we need to. We can go back and get this thing right. And hey, man, Carlos Hernandez ended up winning the fight anyway. So let's just uh, let's just get it right. Let's follow the the letter of the law, the rule of the law, and we'll hand out the wins and losses and the no contests as they are prescribed by the rules, not necessarily by what the awesome thing that happened is. Yeah. Next question this week comes to us from Gareth Shelley, who writes, is it good or bad for a nothing burger fight night card like this one when we have two referee mistakes to talk about the morning after? Reminds me of the conversation you guys had a couple weeks back about bad judges decisions and whether we actually like them because it gives us something to talk about. Is the same true when Keith Peterson comes in smelling like booze and cigarettes and messes up on the tap? Now, see, that's not fair. It's not no. fair for us to continue to re- repeat Dominic Cruz's blatant slander against referee no nonsense Keith Peterson by continuing to propagate the myth that he's out there smelling like booze and cigarettes. It seems like he did kind of screw this one up though. Yeah, the, but uh, the end of the fight between Dan Argueta and and Ronnie Lawrence which was eventually made a no contest due to a a bit of a phantom tap situation. 
I, I'm not going to sit here and be like, Keith Peterson didn't screw this one up. I think he would tell you that he screwed this one up. But also, he he made a series of decisions that are completely understandable given the circumstances. When Because you look at it, the guy looks like he's stuck in a mounted guillotine. His hand comes out in the tap-ready pose. <laughs> like... We've all seen that before. So you bring that hand up and you, you've got it in a tap position. Like there's no other reason to have your hand up like that, except that you're about to tap. Cause you're not defending the guillotine at that point. The hand is just sort of hovering in the air. And so Keith Peterson's watching that he's watching for the tap. He's expecting it any second. And then the tap doesn't come and the hand kind of starts to sink down. It makes total sense for Keith Peterson. to think he was about to tap and then he went out. And what he does there is a pretty standard referee thing of grabbing the guy's arm to sort of test to see if there's any resistance to trying to see, is he out or not? And how many times have we seen referees do that and use it to determine that the guy is out and you should stop it? If he didn't do that, if he just sat there and the arm sinks all the way down and he's out, we would be sitting there, people on the broadcast be like, what the hell is wrong with you, Keith Peterson? You're trying to get this man killed? Get in there and stop the fight. Clearly he's out. So nothing that he does there seems outwardly wrong or like you can't understand what he might have been thinking. He grabs the guy's arm trying to feel for it. The guy then pulls away and then it kind of looks like he taps like because he's trying. He, he doesn't know what's happening. Somebody's grabbing his arm. He's trying to get it free. And by that point, though, You've already intervened, and it's sort of like a Schrodinger's tap situation, where as soon as you get in there and you do something, then you have affected it, and you can't just be like, oh, sorry, guys, do over. Get him back in the guillotine. Get back there. I'll, I'll get out of the way, and then we'll say go. And like, it's too late at that point. But it's not like a fuck up where you can't see what was going through his head at the time. Yeah. And it seems like, yeah. you know, Dominic Cruz, you knew, was going to take the opportunity to be like... <laughs> Fucking Keith Peters, because he's got a, a grudge against Keith Peterson because he feels like his fight was was stopped prematurely, which that's arguable in itself. And I I don't know. I, I think that Keith Peterson is generally one of the best refs around. So I, I don't like seeing people beat up on him for anything, but especially for one where I'm like, everything he did there seemed pretty reasonable to me. It just that sometimes it's going to be like that where you yeah. think maybe the guy's out and then once you, you touch him, then you've kind of interfered. And let, until we get the uh, the RoboCop style AI referees out there, human error is going to happen. It happens in the judges' decisions. It happens in the refereeing. And like I said, these guys have almost an impossible job out there trying to referee this fucking crazy ass sport where they where they are asked to do so much. And like I said, it's like if a if a routine. Uh, pickoff play at second base in the middle of a baseball game happens suddenly in the fourth inning and the, the safe or out call ends the whole fucking game. You have no warning that it's coming. It just happens and the, the ump has to make a split second call and, and when they make it, then the game is over. That's basically what we ask these MMA referees to do and sometimes you're just going to make a mistake. Sometimes you catch a bad one. Sometimes something happens and it results in a in a funky ending and then you got to handle it the best you can. And I would also say, man, every one of these refs not only is out there doing their best, but they're really only involved in the sport because they love it because they want to be involved in it, because they take it seriously. They want to be stewards of the sport. And these guys don't make a ton of money. They're just out there like doing the thing that they love. I've talked to numerous refs in the past, Herb Dean, Kevin McDonald, all these guys take this job really seriously. And frankly, 
I think all of them, at least the ones that I've talked to, are pretty upfront about when they screw something up. And the fact that they don't come out and say it more publicly a lot of times has to do with the athletic commissions, that the athletic commissions don't want them to come out and talk to the media really in any format. Uh, you know, whether they've committed a, a, a mistake or not, because once the referee admits a mistake, then you open the door for all kinds of appeals and this other stuff that the athletic commission doesn't want to see. And so they, they try to restrict how much and how publicly referees can be. But I'm telling you, these men and women that ref these MMA fights, they have a terribly hard job. They're doing their best and they're only out there because they love the sport and they want to, they want to help it out. And the last thing any of these guys wants to do is harm the career or the win-loss record of a fighter. Like, that's just, it's like a stake to the heart of those guys. So I don't necessarily know that we need to heap a bunch of public scrutiny on them in addition to all of that. Yeah, especially in instances like this, where if you're going to argue that he made a mistake, it was a mistake that he made while trying to protect the health of a fighter. Yeah, You know, because God knows if it had gone the other way and he let him stay in the choke too long and he's all the way out he'd get a a completely different kind of, but no less vociferous brand of shit for that. Yeah. Next question this week comes to us from Coco Loco, who writes, what can we make of the homie Armand Sarukian? It felt like Joaquin Silva let him off the hook a little bit in their fight, but then he comes on strong to get the win. Just two losses in the UFC, one that might have been kind of bullshit, and for some reason we don't talk about him when it comes to the top lightweight contenders. Can you explain why? Uh, you know you know what is, to me, maybe the most amazing thing about the homie Armand Sarukian, Ben Folks? What's that? He's 26 years old. No, he's Just not. A, just a that puppy dog, just a puppy dog in this uh, this crazy world of MMA. He was born October 11th, 1996, by which time I had just recently graduated from high school. Uh, he is 20 and three overall. He lost to Islam Mahachev in his UFC debut back in 2019. Islam uh, turned out to be pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, aside from that, he's beaten everyone besides the unanimous decision to Mateusz Gamrot back in June of last year. I assume that's the one that Coco Loco refers to here as kind of bullshit yeah. because it was a very close fight previous to that. And Mahachev Sarukian had not lost since his second professional fight back in 2015. So he has been extremely good. He is still extremely young has a lot of growing and time left in this sport to do it if he sticks around uh, for a long period of time. I honestly don't totally know why we leave him out of these contender discussions frequently when we have them. Maybe it's because, you know, he's just two, got two wins now between himself and that Mateusz Gamrot loss. But, I mean, he's he's really good. If you told me that Armand Sarukian was a future champion, uh, I wouldn't laugh in your face. That's for sure. Yeah, you'll recall that that decision lost to Mateusz Gamrot. That was the one where Mateusz Gamrot won, but did he though? <laughs> did he? Did he did really he win? though? Mm, did he? Did he? We, we did weren't he so win? sure. Sure so, about that. Mm. And this is the thing about the, this division being so crowded is that you know you you putting together a good win streak. You you lose one fight, even if it's a questionable decision that just doesn't go your way. You lose one fight. And it sort of puts you at the back of the line because it's just so difficult to create some momentum, to get noticed, and to get yourself in that conversation if you're not already very, very famous 
just in general in MMA. And so I guess that's kind of the thing working against him. Also, he's one of these guys who shows up on some of these fight night cards where we watch it or don't. Uh, the schedule moves on, and within six weeks, we don't know if we even saw it. Did we see Armand Sarukian lately? I don't know. It seems familiar. I don't know. And so uh, that also makes it a little bit tough to stand out. It is crazy to me, though, that this guy, 23 pro fights his name, uh, feels like he's been in the UFC for you know several years now at this point. What well, he break in in 2019? So shit, he has. How are you gonna be only 26 years old at the end of all that? <laughs> the math just don't work out to me, Chad. Yeah, I mean we could fact check it. I guess we could find out if the date on the Wikipedia page is wrong. You know what Sarukian did after this fight that I liked? Called out Michael Chandler because at this point that Conor McGregor fight. Is that going to happen? Man, this would be a real um, kick in the nuts for Michael Chandler if people start calling him out by basically being like, look, bro, <laughs> let's be honest. We all know that's not happening, Mike. You got access to the same TMZ that I do, man. <laughs> you know, you come on, be honest with yourself, Mike. You know that fight's not happening for real, right? So like, be serious. <laughs> get, get back to business. Think about who else you're going to fight because it ain't going to be that Irish fella. Come on, man. Yeah, I don't see Michael Chandler taking him up on that one. Kind of tough yeah, to go like from a matchup against Conor McGregor to a matchup. People are calling you out. <laughs> matchup against Arbon Saruki in the 26 year old, 20 and three fast riser who doesn't have that much of a profile in the sport. Uh, don't want to make fun, obviously, against the about the recent allegations against Conor McGregor pretty serious business but yeah it's a tough one for Michael Chandler that's a that's a bad beat right there Michael Chandler yep. didn't have anything to do with it Michael Chandler was probably at home and uh now he's out here getting called out by Armand Sarukian which is I a tell you what, of a, Michael Chandler fall off. was probably sitting there being like hey if you'd invited Mike Chandler to the heat game I would have done the work with the mascot without injuring him and sending him to the hospital and then I would have gone home you yeah. know what just Lesson learned, you guys. Most dangerous part of having Michael Chandler at the Heat game would have been the the post-fight interview with the mascot. See you at the top, Michael mm -hmm. Chandler. Last question this week comes to us from... Oh, no, two more. Sorry. Darkwing Duck says, I'm sure you guys saw Jamal Hill and Corey Anderson chirping back and forth at each other over the weekend. Are these guys trying to get some budget John, John Jones and Nganu shit going where two fighters who are no longer in the same company talk shit knowing they'll never get to fight each other? Help me out here. Uh, this was a bit of a weird one. A back and forth exchange between current UFC light heavyweight champion uh, Jamal Hill and Corey Anderson, who is now over there in Bellator. I believe he got a split decision win over Phil Davis over the weekend. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I guess, I guess you should be crazy on the social medias. You get, you know, you might you get on there, you might get yourself involved in a beef, might be beefing back and forth with someone. But this is, this is one that didn't make a ton of sense to me. Well, you know, who really probably likes this is Bellator. Because yeah, that's true. You got Corey Anderson over there kind of talking shit, being like, hey, you know, I beat them. Some people beat you, whatever. Like, I, I'm sort of kind of MMA math version better than you, even if you, you might personally 
technically have your hands on the UFC belt right now, whatever, big deal. And, you know, they're going back and forth at it. All the MMA website's going to pick it up. There's a story about it. And you're if you're Bellator, you're going like, all right, there we go. Now we, we are forcing, you know, this conversation that we would like to see people have more often, which is who has the better fighters in some of these weight classes, because there are some divisions where Bellator has legitimate claims to that. And, you know, light heavyweight's kind of a weird one right now, just because we all feel like we know who the best light heavyweight in the world is, and he's up there at heavyweight, going to fight maybe once uh, once every few years, once a presidential election cycle or something. Uh, but in the meantime, somebody got to be champ, different places. And if you're Bellator, you're like, okay, go ahead and have that conversation about us, get us in the news that way. And, uh, you know, it's a sort of an easy PR win that Corey Anderson did for you. Perhaps Jamal Hill needs to remember the cardinal rule of social media. And that is, if you're going to beef, always beef up. Mm -hmm. Don't beef down. You don't beef with the rando with five followers who hits you up on Twitter with some misinformation. You don't beef with that guy. You just mute him and you move on. You don't beef with the Bellator guy. You only beef with, with someone who's going to be, have a higher profile than you in the UFC. Cause that helps you. Yeah, going to come and talk shit to you on Twitter. You turn around, you talk shit to Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> yeah. Someone who's going to help you with your profile. Someone mm-hmm. who's going to raise you up, not drag you down. Last question this week comes to us from Louis the 16th. Okay. So he writes, so do we need to call the UN and have some kind of humanitarian resolution passed against Bigfoot Silva fighting anymore? Oh man. You see this, the eight-day retirement for Bigfoot Silva? That's a tough one. That's a tough one to have him come back and be asking for a rematch with the most recent guy who who took him out. We we need cooler heads to prevail here. We need some people to step in. Or maybe what we need is everybody to step back. And Bigfoot (laughs) Silva will be like, that's it. I'm unretired. I'm back in the game fielding offers. And if everybody just goes, we're going to act like we didn't hear it. We're going we're gonna to say nothing, and we'll pretend Bigfoot Silva has said nothing, and then we'll all move on, and in this way, he will realize that retirement is the way after all. Yeah. What about 11, that? 11, 1, and 1 in his last 13 fights going back to 2013, a loss against Cain Velasquez. Ben, that is 10 years if you're scoring at home. His only win during that time, Soa Pulele at UFC 190 in August of 2015. A lot of TKOs and KOs also on the yeah. on the losses for Antonio Bigfoot Silva. Some, I mean, is, is there no one? Is there no one that that will uh, that will tell Bigfoot, "Hey, big fella, maybe it's time to let this one go." Well, I'm sure people have told him, and uh, you know, I think. Then Alex Davis, his longtime manager, said that he had stopped working with him a while ago for that reason, because it's basically saying, I'm not going to get you any more of these fights to just for you to go in there and get knocked out. That I don't want to be a part of it anymore. But, you know, that doesn't mean that Bigfoot Silva stops just because of that. What I want to know now is, like, how do you get anybody to fight him? Because if you go in and you knock Bigfoot Silva out with the very first punch you throw, still people are going to kind of be like, okay, big deal. You became like the 12th person in a row to knock him out. God forbid you lose. That's a disaster for you. And the only thing anybody's going to say about the fight if you win is just like, 
this shit is depressing as hell and we hate it. And yeah. what do you, why would you want to be a part of that? I mean, I keep doing this podcast. <laughs> All I hear about is how depressing it is, but I keep doing it. No. Uh, yeah. People shouldn't fight Bigfoot Silva. Maybe we do need to call the UN, get a resolution passed, a binding yeah. resolution. They can't be doing anything else important, right? Maybe sitting around waiting on some Bigfoot Silva calls. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it this week for listener mail. If you have a question, comment, or concern you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says, email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. Right now, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, you had Bellator 297 on Friday from the Trust Arena out there in Chicago, Illinois. You had dueling championship fights on top of this one. A light heavyweight fight, Yoel Romero challenging Vadim Nemkov, and at men's bantamweight, Patricio Pitbull going down there trying to pick up, what is it, his third title in, in the third weight class over there in Bellator against Sergio Pettis. I guess let's start, I guess, with Nemkov versus Romero, because officially that was the main event here. I know you know what the thing about uh, Vadim Nemkov is that boy. Good. Yeah, boy. Good. That boy. Very good. Well-rounded skill set at this point. The punches, the kicks, the athleticism, the speed, the uh, the gas tank. He's got the grappling as well, though he doesn't show it off that much from Team Fedor. So he's also got Fedor Emelianenko yelling at him from outside the cage. By the way, Fedor Emelianenko saying more words in the corner of Vadim Nemkov than I think he's ever said before in any public appearance going back throughout his entire career, uh, cheering on his young pupil, trying to give him some instruction. Yoel Romero, mm, 46 years old. I saw some people over on the Discord saying that uh, title fights bring out the worst in Yoel Romero, and it does at times kind of feel like title fight Yoel Romero is like the opposite of C-Level Kane or motivated BJ Penn. Uh, did you see this? Did you see him doing the, like, trying to fake out Vadim Nemkov, trying to act like he was hurt when he wasn't throughout the second half of this fight, doing the drunken master staggering around kind of thing to try to get Vadim Nemkov to attack him? Because that didn't work. That just... Uh, Vadim Nemkov just ignored that. But I guess more to the point, that boy good, Ben. Yeah. I like how afterwards he's saying how uh, at times he was feeling a little bit perplexed by the amount of punishment that UL Romero could take. Like, yeah. Like basically, like, I don't know what's up with this guy's head, pretty much. <laughs> Which, you know what? Yeah, fair. Like, I could see how you come out of a fight with UL Romero after you go five rounds with that guy feeling like, all right. One thing that we absolutely positively know about him is that he is tough as all hell. Yeah. But it is, we at a certain point, we got to just make our peace with that. You don't know what you're getting out of UL Romero in kind of any fight, especially, you know, in a five-rounder. 
And that can cut both ways. You know, sometimes it could be a thing where he doesn't do anything until he j- hauls off and hits you with a flying knee that knocks you out cold. And sometimes he doesn't do anything until it's over. And then that's just how it goes. He, that That's the reality we all have to live with. Bellator president Scott Coker stretching his legs a little bit these days in the public appearances. Famous over the years for let's say being the opposite of Dana White, being the anti-Dana White when it comes to saying stuff in public, not going to say a lot of provocative stuff. But this week, after this fight, Scotty Cokes out here saying he thinks Vadim Nemkov is the number one light heavyweight in the world, better than the guys that the UFC has. And I got to say, if you take a snapshot of the 205-pound decision or division right now, I think he's right because the UFC... 205 pound division a bit of a shambles at the moment jamal hill officially the champion we're waiting for yuri prohaska to come back so that those guys uh can settle it figure out who the true champion is maybe when you got prohaska active and having fights he is in the conversation maybe he's the pick for number one light heavyweight in the world but just at this moment vadim nemkov at least deserves to be in the conversation because that boy good yeah, that boy absolutely. And it's, again, for Bellator, it's kind of a win just if you can get people to have the conversation. You don't yeah. need them to unanimously agree, like, okay, in this division, Bellator has the best fight in the world. Just as long as you, you're getting people to talk about, like, okay, hey, in this one, how about in this weight class? Like, And at least get them to kind of come around mentally to the idea that just because somebody is in the UFC and that's the letters that are printed on their gloves, that does not automatically make them the best in the world. That there's a lot of good fighters out there, uh, especially in some of these weight classes where there's, you know, less of a clear unambiguous choice for who the best in the world is yeah vadim nemkov advances his professional record to 17 a 2 and 1 it has been since 2016 since he lost a fight a split decision back in ryzen so he has been pretty good since coming to bellator let's shift gears a little bit here talk about the men's bantamweight championship fight as i said before Patricio Pitbull, who has been regarded as one of the best fighters in the world outside the UFC, he was coming down in weight from featherweight, trying to win a title in a third division for Bellator and headed into this fight. He had already talked about going down to flyweight to try to get a fourth title at 125 pounds. And you said last week on the Patreon properties, "Uh oh, anytime someone starts talking about that, generally not a good sign until you go out there and take care of business in the fight you got in front of you. And this one just struggled with the speed, I think, of young Serge down there at 135 pounds. Sergio Pettis retains his title with a unanimous decision win over Patricio Pitbull. I thought this was the best fight of the weekend, honestly. The most technical fight, uh, the most kind of tense fight, the, the most interesting fight to watch, with apologies to what Jared Cannonier and Marvin Vittori did in the UFC main event, which was a bit more of a wild slugfest. But this one, I thought if, you, if you're if you an MMA fan, I thought this was the best fight of the weekend. Young Surge emerges with the belt still around his waist. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, respect to Pitbull for continuing to chase these sort of challenges and the incredible shrinking man going to keep going down weight, trying to claim more belts. That's all that's kind of shit that we say that we want to see from fighters. And 
It's a great way to bring sort of attention to some of the other divisions in Bellator. But also, I really liked uh, hearing Sergio Pettis afterwards saying that, <laughs> here, here's his quote uh, from the post-fight press conference, I thought I was going to lose this fight. I ain't going to lie. <laughs> I was telling my girl, I'm like, hey, if I lose to anybody, it's okay to lose to Patricio Pitbull. He's a legend. So I didn't think I was going to lose. I just had battles with my mind. I was kind of nervous, scared, all of the above. 18 months off of competing, so I kind of forgot how all this felt. And I'm surprised. I am surprised. It's the opposite of Nate Diaz. I am surprised, motherfuckers. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Support his so honesty much. there. Yeah. I love everything about that. You know, Sergio Pettis is one of these guys, had a five-year run in the UFC, but as a very, very young fighter. And so I think for a lot of mainstream MMA fans, our lasting memory of him was him going one and three in his last UFC fights and closing it out on the heels of back-to-back losses. But he, again, has been very good since coming to Bellator. He's won six fights in a row. He obviously won the Bellator Bantamweight Grand Prix in 2001. He's he's the champion. He has beat Kyoji Horiguchi and now Patricio Pitbull in back-to-back fights, which is pretty uh, a pretty good accomplishment. Uh, this, you know, 29 years old, so another one of these sort of young champions that Bellator enjoys over there in their promotion, and a guy who I think has just improved a lot since the last time we saw him in the UFC and probably deserves credit for that. Like, he's he's done a good job maturing into a better, more complete fighter who's, uh, who's the champ now. I think he needs to be acknowledged and respected for that. Yeah, and again... This is another reminder that we sometimes in MMA are too quick to to see a few fights, see some part of a guy's career and go, okay, we know who this is. We we got the book on this guy. We know the entire story, what he can and can't do or can and can't become. uh, And that's it. And then you see a guy sometimes go to another organization, sometimes just get a little more seasoning and turns out like, no, people can and do change in this sport. People get yeah. better, people get worse, but we haven't seen it all just because we saw, you know, a two or three year stretch of your career. He won this fight coming in off a of knee surgery, had a an extended absence due to that knee surgery. Now Bellator's got him set up in a title unification fight against Patchy Mix, a guy who went out and won the 2023 Bellator Bantamweight Grand Prix while Young Surge was out. He's the interim champion. I tell you what, this is another thing where like if the UFC was was having this fight, if the UFC was having a men's Bantamweight title unification fight between two fighters as exciting and good as Sergio Pettis and Patchy Mix, we would all be stoked about it. It would be a huge topic of conversation on all these shows, but because it's happening over there in Bellator, tour we have a tendency to ignore it but this is a this is a good damn fight that people should pay attention to pay attention to whenever it is actually scheduled sergio pettis against patchy mix is going to be a good one real question is uh how big a bet is big brother anthony going to lay down on that yeah i mean you know you know it's going to be sizable he do you see his uh his bet on this one I saw him at cage side looking like a million bucks because we all know Anthony Pettis has got a guy for that. He's he's out there looking good, cheering on the little brother. How much did he put down? Uh, he put down a $50,000 wager Ooh, on wow. Young Surge at plus 145 odds, cashed $122,500. Wow. Well, that's a, that's a nice win for Anthony Pettis. I hope he gets Young Surge a watch or something. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Listen, so he was 
if you ever put 50 grand down on me to do anything, don't tell me beforehand. <laughs> like, definitely don't have me walking around with that in my mind. Like, tell me afterwards if I succeeded, you know, 50 grand, just be like, okay, I believe in my brother. I mean, sure. Yeah. Hey, of course you do. But 50 grand? I mean, I believe in you, Chad Dennis, but 50 yeah. grand is 50 grand. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm good for it, man. Put the bet down. I'm winning. So I guess it sounds like Anthony didn't have the same crisis of uh, of confidence that Sergio had heading into this fight. He was he liked his chances, I guess. <laughs> Do you think he's sitting there watching the fight, sitting next to Sergio's girl, and she's like, yeah, he said that he might lose this one. And he's going, what? He said, what? <laughs> he said, what? No. I got 50 uh, well, fucking grand on this fight. What did he say? <laughs> I mean, good good for the Pettis family that he that he got the victory. Yeah. All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me, Ben, and then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week? Well, I don't know, Chad, if you saw that Izzy Adesanya was over there on the MMA Fortnite talking to Ariel Helwani, and he was telling the story about when he got arrested, as you will recall, for having the brass knuckles that some a fan gave him. Mm-hmm. When he fought in New York, he was detained at the airport when they found these brass knuckles. Uh, the weapons charge was eventually dismissed, but Israel Adesanya reflected on the experience, quote, It's crazy how life happens. You lose the belt, you go to the airport, get arrested. First thing I did when I got into the cell was meditate for about 15 minutes. I was in the cell for about 45 minutes. They were all like, what the fuck? What are you doing here? People started coming like, oh shit. Hey, Israel, what happened? We'll get you out of here as soon as possible. That's life. I like these experiences, whether good or bad. It all happens for my benefit and my favor. I sit in the cell and I see people's graffiti on the wall. And I remember just thinking, this is crazy. I was just fighting at Madison Square Garden literally a few days ago. And now I'm in a cell at the airport. So I was like, right. I sat there. I just meditated just to center myself again. Again, from there it was, right, cool, what are we going to do? Are you fucking kidding me? Can you imagine you're working at the little police station inside the airport? You're going around, you're getting yourself a cup of coffee, people are moving in and out. You start, you're walking down the hall past one of the cells, you turn, you look over, you go, wait a minute, is that former, at that point, UFC middleweight champion Israel Asanya? and is he fucking meditating right now? <laughs> are you fucking kidding me you imagine that experience you're like okay so uh the guy meditating over there in cell three uh nobody go in there yeah leave him alone leave him alone till he's done uh they took israel out of sanya and put him in the holding tank at the airport put him in the sneezer well, now they uh, they sorted out the thing with the brass knuckles. That seems a little. That seems like overkill. Like what they think he was going to do with the brass knuckles, man? Punch everybody on the plane? That's, I don't. I mean, I guess, but I don't know. They didn't want to wait around to find out. I'll tell I you guess, that much. Yeah, that's probably probably why they did it. But I realized that I just we just had a big conversation about how you have to re- re- enforce the rules evenly, and you can't like. <laughs> cut anybody slack because of of how awesome it is but i feel like it's real lot of sonya showing up at the airport with brass knuckles is kind of so awesome that you should just let him go with it just like okay man yeah i know i see it's part of your whole gimmick just just move on through don't punch anybody with the brass knuckles well yeah and especially when he's like okay you know a fan gave these to me they were a gift yeah. what am i gonna do toss them in the uh, the mail Send them home. I mean, imagine the the weight on those. The shipping is just be outrageous to yeah. go back to fucking New Zealand with it. Come on. 
It's understandable, I guess, when you get down to it. Somewhere out there is a fan who knows in their heart that they got Israel Adesanya arrested (laughs) at the airport. That's got to be a tough one to carry around. Yeah, you're going to take that one to bed with you every night. Ben, when there's three MMA shows of a weekend, ain't nobody trying to watch all these fights, man. Ain't nobody watching every one of these fights. I couldn't watch all these fights if I wanted to. That's like 40 fights. I'm not watching 40 fights. But you know what's bullshit? What? It's bullshit when the UFC puts these tweets up where they're like, oh, check out the highlight. Check out the the, the end of this fight. And then you click on it. It's not the end of the fight, man. It's the moments right after the end of the fight. I know what they're doing. They don't want to put the stoppage on there so I can just watch it on social media. I got to go back to ESPN plus and watch it. But come on, man. You fucking kidding me? Just showing me the showing me a guy getting up off the ground to celebrate his TKO win and not showing me what happens. That's bullshit. And an additional layer of bullshit is when I go to a website and they're like, check out the full fight video highlights of such and such a fight from over the weekend. And I click on it. And it's just the tweets. It's just the UFC tweets not showing me the fight, just showing me the celebration. Are you fucking kidding me? Help me out a little bit here, people. Let me see (laughs) the actual full fight video highlights instead of the just bullshit ass tweets of a guy putting his hands up and walking around the octagon. I don't have time for that. Are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) You don't have time for that. You're a busy man. The thing I hate about that is that what you were doing there is you, if I was trying to avoid it until I could see it, you're spoiling it. Yeah. For me, but also not giving me the good stuff. Like it's the worst of both possible worlds. And then when the websites do it, the thing is, I understand they want to play nice with the UFCs. They want to use their version. But you know as well as I do. Yeah, it's out there. That that shit is out there. You know exactly which three accounts you could count on to have it. If you wanted, if you really wanted to post that shit. No, you don't. You just want the clicks of pretending like you're posting that shit. Quit playing with me. Yeah, you fucking kidding me? Just give me all the bad parts and none of the good. That's bullshit. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Well, Chad, do you remember when we were laying down our bets on this fight night main event last week, last Friday, and I believe when we were talking about the possibility of a finish in this fight, especially a possibility of Jared Cannonier pulling off the finish of this fight, do you remember what I said? I don't remember. I just remember that I won my bet on this fight. I said that Marvin Vittori got a hard-ass head. Yeah, no, you did. I think you did say that. And you Paulo were proved correct. Kicked him right in the dome and couldn't even change the expression on his face. That even if he doesn't win, he can take it. He can take it pretty damn good. Here, he he had to do a whole lot of taking it. <laughs> yes, he did. Which, that's one way to get yourself some, some attaboy points from the fans and fellow fighters. Also, one way to get yourself fighting the night bonus. Maybe not the best way, though, because Marvin Vittori did end up taking kind of a hellacious beating here. Yeah. More significant strikes landed 
in any middleweight fight in UFC history landed by Jared Cannonier in this fight, which is actually kind of an accomplishment considering who the previous middleweight champions have yeah. been guys who like their striking. And so good on uh, Jared Cannonier, who said he was, quote, very proud of himself after this was over for setting that record. It did make me reflect, though, on a recent conversation that we had on this show where you talked about how the takedown record in the UFC, if you get the takedown record for a single fight, it's kind of a double edged sword. It's a bit of a backhanded mm -hmm. compliment record to to win, because if you're setting the takedown record, it means you're getting a lot of takedowns and the other guy is doing a lot of getting up. Because if he's not, you're not going to get that many takedowns. It also means you're not finishing the fight. I wonder if the significant strikes record is kind of the same thing. Because, yeah, I mean, you punched a guy more than anyone's ever punched and kicked a guy in a 185-pound fight before. Didn't finish him, though, did you? And it went the full five, and so you had all that time to rack up those significant strikes. So it's a little bit of a, I don't know, it's great, I guess, for Jared Cannonier, But at the same time... You have to ask yourself, why? Why'd you get the opportunity to land so many of those significant strikes? Yeah, I feel like the asterisks in this case should denote, though, that it came against Marvin Vittori. And his hard-ass head. Kind of famously resilient at this point. Uh, never been uh, finished in a fight, right? Never been knocked out. So we don't even know if it's possible. Yeah, the, uh, A Marvin Vittori loss by knockout at this point exists only in theory. It has not been proven. So uh, I give you a little bit of a, of a pass on that. Because, but it is true, though. Like when you were out there just really putting it on the guy, and by the t time they tally it all up at the end, and they're just like, we've never seen anybody whip that much ass <laughs> without stopping the fight, without ending the fight. So I guess congrats on that. But, I mean, honestly, if you look at where Jared Cannonier was in his career – and, you know, what we were thinking, the, the likely options for him might be going forward. Going forward and getting 25 minutes worth of ass whipping on Marvin Vittori is a pretty good instant bounce back for you to, to come back and be like, okay, you are still a capital G guy in this division. You know, the, the this champion situation being what it is, I don't know if anybody is really itching to run that one back because we didn't have a great time last time we saw that one. But it does it sort of instantly revive you way more than just like, you know, skating by on a close decision would or something like that. Because like, we come away from that going like, okay, Jared Kanier, still a bad man. Yeah, he is, especially at 39 years old. That's pretty impressive in a division where there are a lot of athletic guys and where, to a certain extent, your own style relies on your athleticism. His only two losses since coming to middleweight back in 2018 are Robert Whitaker and Israel Adesanya. So that's pretty good in terms of uh, the guy, the only guys to have beaten you. He has also beaten a litany of no names in the middleweight division. David Branch. Remember when David Branch was on that big win streak and we were all like oh he might be something now he also defeated anderson silva albeit the old ass version of anderson silva uh singing and dancing jack hermanson kelvin gastelum Derek brunson sean strickland and now marvin vittori so a nice little collection of wins for jared cannonier at 185 pounds i think you you know you kind of said it all when you said it though that uh no one is clamoring to see Jared Cannonier get another shot at Israel Adesanya, just considering the kind of tepid fight that they had the first time around. 
Uh, I'm not totally sure what the 185-pound future is for Jared Cannonier at the moment, although there is a giant, handsome man that I feel like would have a fun fight with Jared Cannonier, and they have not fought up to this point. And maybe one of those guys would show up with the container of secret juice. Mm. And that's Paulo Costa. I would not argue at all with a Jared Cannonier versus Paulo Costa fight. You know, I thought it was interesting when uh, Jared Kennedy was asked in the post-fight press conference, what would you think about fighting Hamzat Chimaev if, you know, somebody has to welcome him to middleweight? What would you... And Jared Kennedy's first reaction was, would that fight give me a title shot? And then when the reporter, I don't know who it was, was asking the question, was like, well, maybe it wouldn't. He was like, I don't think so. Like, he's not even ranked at middleweight. And a part of me just wanted to be like, come on, bro. You you know how this shit works. You've been in this sport long enough. Don't come up in here being like, well, no, if he's not ranked, it couldn't possibly get me a top. That, I mean, the rankings matter until they don't. You know, like the guy has a big name. If you beat him, there'd be a big win for you. Also, right now, nobody is going to be out here dying to see you fight Israel Adesanya again. You got to do something else. So, and like, you got to do something else, a pretty high profile, like beating a solid contender in Marvin Vittori and putting a statistically record breaking ass whipping upon him in the process. That's not going to be enough to do it. So like, you'd need something, you need like a, a, some other kind of push and fighting a guy with a big name like Hamza Shmaev might do it. Like, don't come up in here with your rankings, trying to talk sense in this sport. Haven't we seen enough by now to know that it just doesn't operate like that? Yeah. Uh, Kam, I mean, remember when Kamzat Chimaev was was a household name in the news every day? Now it's been nine months since we saw that guy fight. I know we're talking about having him come up to middleweight to fight Kamaru Usman, which again, that's another weird pairing. You're going to have the former welterweight champion come up to 185 in sort of his twilight years and fight Kamzat Chimaev. Just feels like Kamzat used to be... uh used to be a, uh, the, the, the big guy, the big happening, the hot prospect. And now it's just sort of like, I don't know, where, where's he been? Where's he been at? Is we're going to be asking Jared Cannonier about fighting him sort of out of the blue. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Have we seen the best from uh, Marvin Vittori? Do you think he's a guy uh, who was mentioned at the top of this fight as Italy's best hope? for a UFC champion, but at this point he is two and three in his last five. Those losses, of course, to Israel Adesanya and Robert Whitaker and Jared Cannonier. So in many ways, the same kind of resume that Cannonier has, but it just sort of feels like Marvin Vittori gets into these big spots, or at least he has over the last few years. And that's, that's kind of it for him. He kind of doesn't, doesn't win the big, the big opportunity. So I'm just, I'm wondering if we have already seen the top of the heap for Marvin Vittori. I don't know. I mean, he's still very good. I think yeah. maybe like some aspect of this matchup were uh, a little surprising for him, but I, I still think that he beats a whole lot of the other guys at middleweight. It just if if you are an Italian MMA fan and you're really hoping to see <laughs> a UFC champion, just maybe uh, look to the regional circuit or something for somebody still still on the come up. I don't know if it's going to be Mad Marv. I wonder how many Italian UFC fans are out there just hanging. Just hanging on the idea that we need to get an Italian UFC champion. I mean, I'm sure there's a few, but I also feel like they probably know enough to know at this point that uh, maybe Mad Marv is not going to be the guy. 
It's probably true. All right, that's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, as we said last week over on our Patreon properties, shout out to Nolan King over there, an MMA junkie who got Scott Coker to admit last week that Viacom is, quote, looking for partners for Bellator and that one of those potential partners is the PFL. That news followed up by Ray Sifo, still officially the PFL president, saying that that is indeed true, that the PFL has been in talks probably with Viacom about a merger with Bellator. Looking for a partner is an interesting way to put it. Kind of makes you wonder, are they looking for a partner or are they looking to just sell the thing outright? Which, for Scott Coker, would kind of be the second time that the money guys have sold his promotion out from under him and might end up being kind of a bummer. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's an interesting way to phrase it, I think. It is. It seems like maybe a an attempt to be diplomatic, an attempt to not frame it as a fire sale, you know, to be like, okay, you know, we're looking to take on like perhaps strategic partnerships where people give us a lot of money and then we give them this company. <laughs> like, yeah, because it does that. That doesn't seem like what anybody what the rumor mill was saying was going on with Bellator. People weren't being like, word is Bellator is looking for a partner. Like, no, the word is was Bellator is looking to sell. And that was kind of how the question was put to Scott Coker. And he's like, yeah, no, no, we're, we're out here looking for a partner, but Viacom is taking care of that. And which really does kind of make it sound like Viacom has said to itself, we tried with this. We're not sure we're getting anywhere. We're going to see what we can get for it, which exactly is pretty much the same thing that happened to Scott Coker before when he worked with strike force with the uh, people who owned the San Jose sharks where they were like, "Hmm, we would like to just be the hockey people now. And we see a good opportunity to get a quick 40 million to sell this thing to the UFC. Um, I mean, the difference here is though, that like if you do combine two of these big uh, or like, you know, two of the outside the UFC biggest uh, MMA organizations, do they become one awesome one? Yeah. I mean, I think that the the point that I want to make first is just that the UFC is so insulated from risk at this point with the guaranteed licensing payments that they get from ESPN, both for the fight night events and for the pay-per-views, that it is hard to imagine anyone coming for the crown in that way. It's hard to imagine anybody knocking the UFC off the throne in terms of being the number one MMA organization in the world, but a Bellator PFL merger would be incredibly interesting, I think, especially if it's the PFL acquiring Bellator, where they could continue to have their events over on ESPN Plus, which are way higher profile at this point than what Bellator is doing with Showtime, and this would suddenly give you a fairly impressive roster of talent you just look around and and look at the just the champions that bellator has that that could come over to the pfl we mentioned vadim nemkov and sergio pettis patricio pitbull are also part of that conversation but they've also got usman nurmagomedov who the lightweight champion who is undefeated and has a 
an, uh, a recognizable name, you could say, in MMA circles. You got Yaroslav Amoslav, who Yaroslav Amoslav, excuse me, the welterweight champion, who's also undefeated. Johnny Eblen, the middleweight champion, who is undefeated. And then, of course, you got Chris Cyborg sitting over there with her Bellator contract. You bring her over to the PFL. Maybe suddenly there's some fire underneath all this smoke between Chris Cyborg and Kayla Harrison, which which could be interesting. If you're the PFL, you're also looking around trying to find something to do with Francis Ngannou. I'm yep. not saying Ryan Bader is the answer, but at least you bring Bellator's heavyweights over, assuming that you get everybody's contracts, which immediately gives you a lot more options than you had right now. I think for hardcore MMA fans, it could create a very interesting situation where the UFC is probably going to be making all the money and being the number one organization in the world. But there would definitely be some sudden appointment viewing also on ESPN plus if you had a PFL Bellator merger. Yeah. And it would not only you know, combine those two rosters, but it also like we're always talking about sort of solve the problem of Bellator having a lot of good fighters that for many people seem inaccessible in terms of how you find the broadcast. Like, yeah. you know, it, that that would be a huge shift. Also, I mean, you can talk about Francis Ngannou and how that would change the whole Francis Ngannou. Who's going to get that two mil to fight Francis <laughs> Ngannou in PFL? I mean, Chad, did the wind just whisper Big Tim Johnson? <laughs> I don't hate it. On the list of guys that we've been talking about, Big Fran potentially fighting, I don't hate it. Big I'd love Tim to see. Johnson. I'd love to see Big Tim get that two million, mostly because I'd just love to see what he would do with it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. My guess is four wheelers. I'm just going to like right <laughs> off the top of my head. I don't honestly know that much about Tim Johnson's personal life, but just judging from the mustache and the overall vibes, I would say four wheelers, like a fleet of four wheelers, the best four wheels, four wheelers that money could buy. The way you will know that Big Tim has signed to fight Francis Ngannou is drive over to his house and see if there's a bunch of snowmobiles and kegs of Bud Light sitting in the front yard, you know? See if, uh, you know, Big Tim suddenly looks like he's living large Brock Lesnar style. And uh, if so, then you'd be like, okay, this fight's on 100%. Uh, You know what I was thinking about last night? Even though it is is obviously well ensconced, perhaps immovably ensconced as the number one MMA promotion in the world. I was wondering last night, what's the most interesting thing the UFC has going on right now? Right, you got John Jones up there at heavyweight. That's probably the most interesting thing, just trying to figure out how good he's going to be and where he can go. Uh, but I don't. We don't have the Stipe fight on the books, right? We're still trying to figure out when that's going to be. We don't have Kamzat Chimaev and Kamaru Usman on the books. We're still trying to figure out when that's going to be. If you suddenly have a PFL Bellator merger, I don't know. Does that kind of become? the most interesting thing going on in the sport, because I have a hard time dredging up something that with the UFC where I'm like, okay, that's that. That's incredibly interesting. I think I, if, if it's something that's on the books, it's Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje. That's yeah, probably that's the most interesting say. thing, but like, it's, I don't know. It just feels like a lot of stuff happening and not a lot of real peaks in the, in the schedule right now. Yeah. And I don't know if you're just going to BMF title your way. to artificial importance other than, you know, it just being stylistically a really interesting fight that we know will deliver a good time. Uh, Right. I mean, again, though, you were correct to say that the USC is so insulated from risk at this point that I don't know 
if they even care, if they right. would even take notice of something like that. But uh, and maybe they'd be like, hey, having a one big strong competitor help us out if we're, when we have to make our case that we're you know in an antitrust situation. Uh, I don't know, but I don't think the UFC is going like, okay, wait a minute, what if these guys get to be too big, too good, right. and then we actually have to compete with them? Yeah. Well, there are some reports out there that the PFL may not, in fact, be the leading suitor for Bellator. But interesting now that both sides have confirmed that they're at least talking. They're at least exploring the possibility. So we'll keep an eye on that. I feel like it would be pretty big news, pretty interesting, might well shake up the landscape a little bit of the combat sports world. Let's get into just saying stuff, Ben, and uh, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Uh, this week, Ben, I'm just saying, you know, uh, Francis Ngannou and John Jones met up cage side over the weekend at the at the pfl john jones there to corner a fighter and then you know they they run into each other cage side and of course everybody's got their phones out and uh you get you get videos of the lengthy conversation four handshake conversation that these guys had cage side and everybody knows if you listen to this show that i'm 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 team francis have been for a long time kind of in the bag for Francis Ngannou, I think that uh, he's the most interesting and exciting heavyweight, still the number heavy, number one heavyweight on the planet. But this week, I'm just saying, John Jones looking pretty big, though. <laughs> you see him face to face, John Jones looking pretty big. He's looking pretty big. It's like he's he found where they keep the weights. He's looking, mm-hmm. just saying, he's looking pretty big. Kind of surprised how big he looked standing next to Francis, just saying. He's looking pretty big. Just saying. Just beefy boy. Guy's looking big. He's looking pretty big. Well, Chad, this week I'm just saying, you see these comments from uh, Anthony Smith. He was also on the MMA Hour, uh, and he was talking about what it's like to be a fighter at a certain level of like visibility and uh, being a known guy to so many MMA fans. And maybe he doesn't love it. <laughs> Here are his quotes. The more popular I get, I get, the more hate I get. Or no, the more popular I get, I get, the more I hate it, to be honest with you, Smith said. Maybe popular is the wrong word. Uh, the more maybe recognizable? I don't know. I don't even know how to state it. It's just everyone outside this whole circus show makes it really miserable for the people inside of it. Maybe I'm one of the few guys that will be honest about that. The fans used to be the thing that drove you. They'd push you through and they'd support you. And once you get to a certain level, then they hate you. So they'll build you up, and when you're feeling down and things are hard, and you're trying to grind, you're chasing this dream that everyone has in their head, the supporters and the fans and the people around you are kind of the ones that help push you to the finish line. And you hear the champions and the biggest superstars in the sport talk about, you know, I do this for the fans. They're full of shit. It sucks. It sucks because you get shit on way more the higher up you grow in this sport. And I'm not playing like some poor, pitiful me thing. I put myself in a great position just in life through all this. But you ask the question. The outside circus show makes it really intolerable at times. Hmm. I'm just saying, I don't think he's wrong. I don't think he's the only one who has maybe experienced that. That There is some weird thing about a large block of the MMA fandom. Definitely not all the people. Definitely, I think fewer of the people in, inside the shit-eating wild person bubble, but a sizable contingent of MMA fans fucking hate MMA fighters. Yeah. I don't know why it is, but they do. And that's one of the things that makes it easy for the UFC to, you know, trot out Dana White to give the same old talking points every time a fighter wants more money or more respect or just to be treated like a decent human being. 
And we can weaponize the fans' ready willingness to hate on MMA fighters. I'm just saying, Anthony Smith kind of nailed it right there. Yeah, just saying. All right, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Ben is on vacation for most of the rest of the week. He's going to be back Friday for the Power Hour over on the Patreon page. Uh, But we're going to figure out some fun stuff to do in his absence. We'll be back next week with the proper and uh, then an additional week of Patreon content. Thanks, everybody, for listening today. As for right now, we are done. We are through. We are out. You know, I say this every time someone with a lot of Twitter followers retweets me. Someone with a lot of MMA Twitter followers. I don't even know how they do it. These guys with tons of followers. Luke Thomas, Ariel Helwani, these guys. Every time I get retweeted by them, not to say that I'm approaching the level of Anthony Smith, but like... Every time I get retweeted by Luke Thomas, I'm just like...